I would invite you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 28. It's a long one. <laughs> Verses 15 at to the end of the chapter. Verse 68. But these warnings are essential for us to understand. And I want us not to fall into that same trap that many Christians in the modern era fall into. And thinking that there is nothing in the Old Testament for us. That we honor it simply by reading it. But we ought to honor it by applying it. and Seeking to understand what God would have for us. Deuteronomy 28. I'll begin reading in verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke you in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, with severe burning fever, with the sword, with scorching, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish, and your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and no one shall frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall only be oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long, and there shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so you shall be driven mad because of the sight which is before your eyes. The Lord will strike you in the sight which your eyes see. I'm sorry, the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils, which cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation, which neither you nor your fathers have known, and and you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations, where the Lord will drive you. 
You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land. Until you are destroyed, they shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land, and they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you. In the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you, the sensitive and very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. The tender and delicate woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, will refuse to the husband of her bosom and to her son and her daughter, her placenta which comes out from between her feet, and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you at all your gates. If you do not carefully... Observe all the words of this law that are written in this book that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in this book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked from off the land. 
would you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart. And because of the sight which you, your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. And by the way of which I said to you, You shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come this evening to hard words to be sure, but let us not shrink in the face of such difficult language, but to see, O God, that you are holy and righteous in all that you do and all that you say. And our only hope In the light of such judgment, to not be taken back to Egypt, but to enter into that land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey, is to enter in by the sheep gate to the service of our great ruler, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, who brings us in and establishes us for all eternity. So we may we make, O oh Lord, eat this evening peace with him, we pray in your name. Amen. If you're still with me, <laughs> hard words. Words that may ring strange to you if you often in your own quiet time avoid sections like Deuteronomy chapter 28. Um, there are many sections of scripture that pronounce upon those who are made in God's image and who are members in particular, having received covenant revelation. We're looking at Israel here, and Israel has received time and time again the covenant and the terms of that covenant with its blessings and cursings. We call this stipulations. If you do this, you will be blessed. If you do not, or if you do this other thing, you will be cursed. Now, these several verses, 54 verses, come as a foil, as a mirror picture image of the first 14 verses. And as God is taking Israel into the land, they are to be a unique, consecrated, holy people. And they are to be holy in the way they conduct themselves as individuals And as a society, as a congregation. But if they do not obey, then the inverse of those blessings comes true. They will be accursed. How are we to understand this for Israel? What is there for us today who do not belong to the nation of Israel? And as our own confession says, that that civil law given to Israel in the Old Testament has passed away with the passing of that nation aside from the general equity of the law. And then how are we to look at these things in relationship to the one who was accursed for us, even Christ Jesus, as those who are under the new covenant? The covenant that has been established 
with the Gentile church. Three points that I want to make tonight. The first, all disobedience is against God. All disobedience is against God. That's the first point. The second point, all judgment is covenantal in nature. And I'll explain what I mean by that. All judgment is covenantal in nature. And then the last point, the third point, what covenant cursings look like. What covenant cursings look like. Now, let's look at this first point. All disobedience is against God. I'm going to do my best for this not to feel like a lecture, but a sermon. But the first question that we must ask if we are to live a life of any kind of order, and it's the question that you answer at times by default, de facto, is by what standard? By what standard do you build your life? And by standard, I mean law. Now, your standard may be as much pleasure as I can possibly get. And so it is a law, a a sort of hedonistic approach to life. Whatever gives me satisfaction, that I will do. Now, God built you for that, right? He built you to be satisfied and take delight. Now, in the shorter catechism, the first question, this delight and satisfaction for which we were built is connected to glorifying God. We glorify God and thus we receive satisfaction. By what standard? So let's do a thought experiment. You are king for a day, or maybe even longer if you can manage it. You are placed in authority. You're about to have a kid. (laughs) And you have to decide... What are the rules of this house? What are going to be the laws of this land? To what source do you go to inform you as to how you are going to lay the whole thing out? Where will you go? The first place that you ought to go is the word of God. As we confess, the only rule for faith and practice. Now, there are other sources to which we might go where we learn true things. Nature is one of those things. The law of God is even written on our very hearts. But that infallible rule for faith and practice for all of life is the word of God laid down for us. In fact, it is the means by which we rightly interpret nature because we often get it wrong. And it is the means by which our hearts are governed and brought under the authority of Christ Jesus because even our hearts often lead us astray. By what standard is the question? And God would have Israel to govern their individual lives, their ceremonial religious lives, and their civil lives through his word. The word pressed down upon their lives. And so... It's not a matter of whether we will be governed by a standard, but which standard. Who is your God? Who is your theos? In fact, much of this idea of um, theonomy, which if you utter that word in certain Presbyterian circles, you will be uh, disinvited or unfollowed or defriended or however that language works. I don't know which is which. Because that word oftentimes is poorly explained and even more poorly 
misunderstood. You and I, all of us, are theonomists by the nature of our being made in the image of God. The question isn't whether we're theonomists. The question is, who is our theos? Theos means God. And in um, many nations, the theos is demos. Demos means what? The people. This is what a democracy is. You don't want to live in a democracy. Why is that? Because you don't want to be ruled by the masses. In fact, if we are to have a law, we are to understand explicitly so and to be committed explicitly so to the one who is above the heavens, who sits enthroned upon high, a big T, theos. You and I, in every sphere, will be blessed when God's law is our law. There are no laws which God has erected. If you were to take, for instance, the civil approach, the general equity, the general equity means what is the heart of the laws of the nation of Israel that applies to today? I think last week I spoke of the parapet, a parapet around a roof. Do you know what a parapet? Maybe I didn't. I cannot remember sometimes what I've talked about. A parapet is it's a fence. It's a, it's a railing that you put around the top of a house because in ancient Israel, in order to escape the heat of the day, they would leave their homes and go out on the roofs and they would feel the desert breeze. If you did not put a railing around the top of your house, and let's say you have a curious 10-year-old that likes to goof off all the time, and they happen to fall off another person's roof, guess who's liable? The person whose house the roof they fall off of. Put a railing around the top of your house. Now, we don't have houses like this. Maybe some, I think the Monteiths have a house kind of like that. Do you have a parapet? Used to, till someone took it out when they fell. I don't know. <laughs> the general equity or the case law application of that is when you build a swimming pool, put a fence around it because your neighbor could wander into your yard and fall into your pool and drown. But a fence is a barrier. At least it's some kind of barrier that says, keep out. This is how we love our neighbors. Now, as we're looking at the law in the book of Deuteronomy, there are certain laws that are for the ceremonial. Often those are in the book of Leviticus. Many of these laws are particular to Israel as to how they are to live in covenant fellowship with God. But many of them... Well, all of them, to some degree, are connected to the Ten Commandments and in that regard apply to us today. It's not whether, but it's which. Which law will you follow? Will you follow the word of God or will you invent laws? In fact, parents, let's say you invented a law. This law is on Friday, everyone in the house has to wear purple. It's a silly law, isn't it? And it's grounded upon what moral principle? This is not a law that needs to be made. Now you may say, okay, our favorite team is a team that has purple. And so Friday is spirit week. And there's a principle underneath that. But none of God's laws, and many Christians think of the laws of God this way, are silly or useless, 
or do not have at their center a moral eternal principle. And so when God gives to Israel the law, he also tells them why these laws are good. And look at all of those reasons in verses 1 through 14. If you obey, you get blessed. But if you do not, the opposite will happen. And one of the examples that we find in the first part of chapter 28 is that when you obey, you will loan to other nations. They won't have to loan to you. They won't buy your bonds, right? They won't buy your debt. You will be, economically speaking, a powerhouse among the nations. But if you do not obey... If you do not follow the laws of God, laws that God has woven into creation, then you will have to borrow from them. These things are very clear. And the more of these laws you understand and why they are there, the better off you will be. It is not whether, but which. And so if God's standard is to be our standard then any variation or delineation or movement away from God's standard is sin. And it must be seen as a sin against God, a direct violation of his will. And Israel, more than any other nation at this time, knows it. Some of these things in Deuteronomy are not clear in nature. They have to be given in the Bible and understood from the scriptures. But Israel at this point has no excuse. The second generation, that generation that did not perish in the wilderness, were reminded by their parents with a 40-year shelf life, fear God and keep his commandments. Don't end up like your mom and dad. We're not going to get to go in. But when you go in, remember these things. But whether or not you have heard the law of God, even if you are a pagan Indian tribe living in this remote part, even in the days of Israel, God still holds you accountable to his law. For it is clearly revealed even in nature. It's revealed even in our own hearts. So that we must say in the first point, all disobedience is against God. And therefore, secondly, all judgment, all punishment is covenantal in nature. None of it is arbitrary, and it all comes with a clear warning. Even if you've never read the Bible, it comes with a warning. This is how embedded in the hearts of every man the truth of God as judge over all the earth is. Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 1. But we're not talking about pagans here, are we? We're talking about those who have heard a lot of sermons, who have heard a lot of warnings, whose parents were faithful to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so what they know is this as it relates to judgment. When God rewards a man, he does it on his own terms, God's terms. And God blesses with regard to obedience But that blessing of obedience in an age of sin in the fall always has mixed into it an element of patience and grace. God doesn't have to do any of this, does he? All God really has to do is to bring cursing. 
is R.C. Sproul, this is who I heard it from first in the car. I remember driving from a college class to my house in my old 96 Honda Accord, and I was listening to a CD talk by R.C. Sproul. (laughs) And he said, God is just and God is merciful, but he is never unjust. His judgments are right and true, but God does not have to bring judgment. But in order for God to hold back judgment, judgment has to be poured out on another. That's what grace is in the scriptures. This is why we're always between the altar and the law. If we are to rightly understand judgment, we must see that we are already, from our conception, cursed in the womb. But thanks be to God, he calls for himself a special people, and he does not reward them according to their actions, but he gives them mercy. This is what Israel received. They were brought out of Egypt for what reason? What obedience? Was it because they were suffering? Well, the reason why God looked at their suffering and took pity on them is because he had already chosen to respond to them in pity. And so when God rewards a man, it is always on his terms and it is always righteous. And here, as Israel is going into the land, God tells them, this is how you sow and this is how you reap. You sow in obedience and you reap the fruit of that reward and blessing. But what if you do not? Well, look at all these things. We're talking about cannibalism. You will be so hungry because the land is experiencing such aggression and drought that you will eat your own children. Now, I've been in Revelation. When you look at Deuteronomy, where do you find that first and most clearly applied? The siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of that great city. God warned them millennia before that happened. Don't disregard the covenant. Do not rebel. Do not go after other idols. He warns them of religious whoredom. Don't do it. And yet what does Israel do? They go after other gods. They sacrifice their children to idols. And God in his covenant cursings (laughs) creates the deepest divide that you can think of within a family. What is right is for fathers and mothers to go hungry that their children might eat. But what happens here is that the hearts of parents are turned against their children. The land lies fallow. There is no rain. There is drought. Those who enter into the land are greater than those who own the land. Does this sound familiar? Not only to the nation of Israel, but as general laws to every nation. And have we not seen this time and time and time again? Because it is not just Israel that is in covenant with God. It is all men. And God is in covenant with the nations. 
And those nations who fear God, whether or not every citizen of that nation desires to fear the Lord or worship him, but that nation that has erected in their books and on record the law of God as the righteous standard is a nation blessed by him. Now, when we speak of blessing in that regard, we don't need an eternal blessing. Nations do not enter the kingdom of heaven. People do. Nations are not the church. The church is the church. And we often get our lines crossed on some of these things. And even as your pastor, I'm sort of working out how to get these lines uncrossed. But what we need to know is this, that when God brings judgment upon a nation, though we have not been given permission to say that sin results in that consequence, what we can say in the main is we got where we are because we jettisoned God's law for a law of our own making. And that all hardship is the direct result of God's covenant cursings. And so when God punishes a man or a woman or a church or a nation or family, these are the sort of boundaries. This is the template that it takes. So then when we see things that look like this, we need to ask ourselves, what ought we do differently? What does repentance look like? And in a family, perhaps fathers need to repent of not being spiritual leaders and rulers in their homes. And they need to be more explicit with their own faith and what it looks like to be devoted to the Lord. Kids, sweetheart, we're going to go this way from now on. And that can often be an adjustment. Or churches. In the age of the Reformation, there were theological principles and practices that needed to be brought into conformity with the scriptures. And it was painful, and there were martyrs, and there was much fighting. Or even in nations that jettisoned the scripture as the foundation for all good law. How ought a nation be reformed? In the same way that every other sphere of authority, every other government of men ought to be reformed. By repenting, with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because the punishments of sin in this world, remember what we read last week? The punishments, this is from the um, larger catechism, the punishments of sin in this world are either inward as blindness of mind, a reprobate sense, strong delusions, hardness of heart, horror of conscience, and vile affections, or outward as the curse of God upon the creatures for our sakes and all other evils that befall our bodies, names, estates, relations, and employments together with death itself. Let me ask you this question. Do you see the kiss of death around you? I see it everywhere. Why is that? Is it because we have offended some impersonal God? No, it is because we have jettisoned the law of the land, the earth that God has established. And so we must say, as revealed in Scripture and in nature, there has always been and will always be for all lands one law. One law. And that is derived from Scripture. And so as Israel is warned not to break it, the warning is ultimately what? What, thirdly, does covenant cursing look like? It looks like God returning you back from the place he delivered you from. And that's exactly what he says. Here at the end, verse 68, 
And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. Wholesale, covenantal excommunication. This is serious. It is quite severe. Not just social chaos, but covenantal disowning. Covenant cursing is being given over to bondage of sin and death. Now, let's not get confused here. God is talking to the nation of Israel. And he is talking to them as a people who have heard the good news. They have had the prophet Moses lead them. And they have heard the blessings and the cursings. Of which our confession of faith says to them, Israel, as a body politic, he gave sundry, that means various, judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not not obligating or obliging any other now further than the general equity thereof may require. What are we to see here? In light of God's great deliverance, it is cosmic treason to no longer keep covenant with him. For those who know of his mercy and grace, for you to looking at what is promised in the gospel to then turn from that gospel and seek after other idols, the only, the only response that a righteous judge can give in light of that kind of treason and rebellion is what? To give you the thing you're asking for. To give you the idols your hearts long for. To let you go into the house of that adulterous woman and to find that her throat is in fact an open grave. And God did from time to time in the house of Israel with the nation of Israel give them over to their idols. Look, and We'll go to the book of Judges eventually. And time again they got what they asked for and they did not like it. And they repented. And so we find not only what covenant cursing looks like, but in this life there are times, even in your hardness of heart, where God will give you over to your sins so you come to the point like that prodigal son, remember? Where he is eating the filth of pigs and he remembers, it is even better to be a servant in the house of my father than to eat the food of pigs. Pods, pods isn't what pigs eat. Pods are what pigs leave after they eat. It's bad enough already. It's even worse. This is what the world has to offer. And this is what we choose when we seek to break covenant and fellowship with God. Covenant cursing is being given over to bondage of sin and death. And that's what we find at the end of the book of, or at the end of chapter 28. All of those things. It's covenant cursing. So, what does freedom then look like? Freedom comes to those who make covenant with God through the Messiah. In fact, what we are called to do, look at verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. How ought we serve God? Begrudgingly. In fact, begrudging obedience 
is the warning sign. It's the yellow light as you approach the intersection. It says, you need to drive carefully. And what is the joy and gladness of heart in response to? Again in verse 47. For the abundance of everything. How do we know that we have been given an abundant gift? We look to the gift. The way in which you and I will be free from sin is we recount the blessings of the one who has liberated us. And if you are wondering why you lack spiritual affections and you're sort of languishing in spiritual apathy, it's because you're looking at the idols of the world and not the redeemer of the elect. If you wish to have joy and gladness of heart, which is the turn away from the things of this world, then you must gaze upon the rich abundance of God's saving grace. This is what our repentance ought to look like. It is to look to Christ. It is to look to the cross to see where our sins are dealt with. And then in response to Christ's righteousness imputed to us, we say, O Lord, we now call it our highest duty to serve and honor you. That is how we will be transformed. Let's pray. O Lord, our God.